0: Glory.
1: Greetings. Welcome to Haber Bros, a podcast for historic cross-centered Christians. We seek to provide ancient answers to a culture that's forgotten the questions. Thank you for listening this week. If you like what you're hearing or enjoy the show, please share it with a friend and say positive things about us on Twitter and Facebook. And even more importantly, to your friends face-to-face. This is the biggest way that podcasts grow. If you haven't yet given us a five-star review, Pause what you're doing, and please do so. Follow, us, follow, 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 follow us on Twitter at at clergylay, and join our Facebook discussion group. I'm Kirk Haberman, a church musician, and this is my brother Chris, a priest. Hey, Chris, how are you?
2: I'm great, Kirk. We are recording on Thursday, uh, the day after Ash Wednesday, so I don't know when you're going to listen to this, but uh, we are in the uh, basking in the uh, depressing uh, mortality afterglow. In the
1: sepulchral afterglow.
2: Yes. (laughs) That's a a good way of putting it, of of, um, entering this new season of Lent. And Kirk, we've kind of determined to not talk about the weather all that much. But (laughs) lately, the weather is kind of the most interesting thing going on, right? it's pretty interesting we've got this polar vortex that's hit the nation and maybe this will will date us I know we have some listeners who listen right away and we have some that uh, that uh, we see catch this up these episodes a month two months later but right now we have this polar vortex that essentially um, there's my sophisticated meteorological
1: oh I'm excited for this
2: explanation is is that uh, this polar air has pushed down through the Uh, the middle of the country. So essentially Texas has our weather and we have Northern Canada's weather. Yes. To to put it quite simply. Yeah.
1: It's snowing in Jerusalem. Uh, There's snow in the Acropolis um, for the first time in a generation. Yeah. uh,
2: Biblical events.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and uh, almost biblical
2: uh, disasters in in Texas, as far as people going long periods of time without electricity, without water pressure, without heat. It's uh, it's been bad. So uh, we pray for, for relief um, down there in in areas that are just not accustomed to this temperature. Uh, Even here, Kirk, on Sunday, we woke up and, and our house was cold. It was eight degrees colder than it should have been. So this was like the first time I had to call the furnace guy to come on a sunday you know pay him exorbitant fees to come make sure uh there's a safety feature basically uh it was too cold and a perfect storm of it being too cold and something being clogged in a release valve um something that should have been cleaned probably in the fall and maybe the guy who serviced it didn't uh clean that out or it just got clogged but um uh a safety feature where it senses that there's pressure in the line and it just shuts itself off. So it doesn't spew carbon monoxide throughout the house Uh, because like these high efficiency furnaces produce a lot of vapor Uh, you know, they're a little bit cleaner burning. And so the, the the exhaust pipe froze up at about 30 below um, and uh, wasn't able to to melt through that because of this um, clog kind of look further down. This is like a layperson explaining things I don't understand, both with meteorology <laughs> and and my furnace. But uh, the weather is getting warmer, at least here. So it doesn't sound like Texas is going to get relief anytime soon, but we are getting relief. And tomorrow, Kirk, we are driving to Central Minnesota to meet Haber Dad, past nice. guest on this on this podcast. Uh, nice to, for, for a, a quick day of skiing. And Where? actually at a place called powder ridge near st cloud it's in okay. kimball minnesota a little ski hill there that's about halfway between here and my father's house oh, so, very cool. so we're, we're driving up to st cloud tomorrow night spending the night getting up uh hitting the slopes about 9 30 a.m and sounds like uh michael john is going to join us as well from the twin cities is going nice. to come out and do some skiing with the family so Excited for a little bit of change of scenery. It's, it's it's a little bit silly in my mind to drive four hours to go to like a three hundred fifty foot ski hill. Yeah, <laughs> you know, what else? to a tiny ski hill. But you know what? Um, when you get to ski with Grandpa, uh, yeah. Here, here's here's how we operate. Kirk is seize the day. Like it's not forever that you get to ski with Grandpa. So yeah. let's do it while we can.
1: Oh, he'll love hearing that. <laughs> well, hey, I suppose. Uh, all right. So so Dash Wednesday was yesterday. So we're we're it was, not we are not denying our mortality, are we? It's it was two thousand nine
2: that uh it was it was a bit of a spur of the moment thing. Um probably we planned it three, four weeks ahead of time. Uh Meg and I, we took our dads out to northwest Montana to um to the whitefish area. We we flew them out um so we could go skiing with them. Yeah. That was in two thousand nine Kirk. We have not had the opportunity to do that right. again since then, but we right? seized the day and and uh, I haven't been back to North,
1: to Whitefish either, but
2: uh, yeah. to ski. I've been there in the summer. It's a cool place. Everyone should go visit Whitefish, Montana.
1: Yeah, we've been a little heavy on, on the ski talk, but uh, we went skiing on Monday, President's Day. My children had off. I did not, so I took a personal day. And um, uh, Monday was the day that um, uh, an enormous storm gripped the entire eastern half of the country and kind of worked its way up. Um, from texas up all the way through the northeast and we could not have timed it perfect more perfectly we uh, we got up early I, I had trouble sleeping all night because i was i bet i got up kept looking at the radar uh, trying to time our departure so we could stay out in front of the storm as we traveled east we made it to the hills. because you're talking about hit. an you're talking about an ice storm right yeah
2: yeah well Which, so so we did well snow
1: in the morning and then we skied our butts off. I told the kids, we are not, the, our lodge time is minimal. Um, I told them, shove granola bars in your pockets. And they're like, dad, we're not supposed to eat in the lift. I'm like, you know, it, it's fine. <laughs> we, so we skied our tails off. It, isn't it
2: funny how, how <laughs> kids are such rule followers? Yeah. It's like, you can't eat in a lift. What are you talking about? Like, what is this? Like, how are they protecting us from ourselves by saying, don't eat on the lift? Well,
1: Also, like, Who's going to do what to you on the lift? Hey, I, I see you up there on the lift. Put down the granola bar. We see you.
2: Like a lift stops. A spotlight. I
1: saw oatmeal crumbs falling. Pick those up when you get down, young man. Yeah. yeah. Right. So we skied our tails off until about three o'clock. And then we bolted home and I'd kept my eye on the radar again all day and we beat the ice storm. And this ice storm, uh, my wife had done such a good job while I was gone in the morning of shoveling the driveway and she prepared it so the driveway was perfectly clear of snow. So that when the ice storm hit, it became a perfect skating rink in the evening and then the next morning, upon which uh, I I, I fell like an old man on Tuesday, returning from Aldi with a uh, box full of groceries and my Ouch. kids tried not to laugh. I like are you, are in you... slow motion I saw like the eggs go up in the air. Oh boy. They miraculously did not break. So How about your body? Like did, are you uh, okay? it was one of those things where it probably looked dramatic but my ego was more bruised than anything. Okay. So.
2: Yeah. I yeah. mean, ice is no joke. I I mean, I'm, I'm sure we've all seen those those viral videos of of like the guy like taking one step out of his house and sliding all the way onto his onto the street. Yes. That, that, no, you know that, that was
1: our driveway. And Christopher, you know yeah. our driveway has first gentle and then a more dramatic yeah. slope to the street. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, and I mean, when there's no traction, it that's what it is. And it was one of those things where had had Kim not shoveled, there would have been like a couple inches of snow under the ice. And, and, and then it would have been fine to shovel it. But nope, nope, we had, I mean, huh. had you have worn your skates, Christopher, your blades would not have <laughs> been dulled at all. Yeah, I mean, it would have been perfect. It was, That's funny. Worst case scenario.
2: This week's gospel lesson comes from the book of Mark, chapter one, verses nine through 13. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And then when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son with you. I am well pleased. The spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So in year B, we have Mark's account of the temptation of Christ in the three-year cycle, the first Sunday of Lent. We always have the temptation of of Christ, and so Mark's account is a whopping two verses long, <laughs> and it, it's it leaves out a lot of the stuff that Matthew and Luke have, and so it's it's quite interesting in that way, and um, so I don't know if that's why these previous verses of the baptism are included, or if it just gives us some helpful context. You know, is it the context, or is it that two verses are just too small of a pericope to actually right. put in in the in uh, the, the liturgy? It's, but I, I my is sense is have. both. It's probably both, right? Yeah, yeah. So uh, Mark's account. What uh, with it being so concise, what can we glean from this? Like, what is it that Mark sees here uh, in, in the little in the two <laughs> verses that we have? Well, first off, the the, the verb the spirit immediately drove. So we have that Mark in word immediately, but also uh, in there's a much more gentle word used in Matthew and Luke that that he was led into the wilderness. Mm. He was led where uh, the word is is almost violent. Just as the heavens were torn open, we see uh, the spirit drive him out. And so this verb is the same word used to cast out demons. So, so there's, there's uh, not necessarily a violence, but, but a – some commentators point out an urgency, that, that, that it's not that Jesus was unwilling as a demon is unwilling to be, uh, to be removed from a person so that it must be cast out. But uh, Jesus was willing, and there was an urgency to it um that jesus listens to and obeys the holy spirit that that um this is part of jesus ministry as he subordinates his will to the will of the father and uh, you know in the garden he says if there's any other way he you know no there's no other way that there's an obedience of, of jesus christ um to the father and to the spirit and we, we um i mean there are some some errors here. Uh, I learned about uh, a heresy not, not too long ago. It's like the eternal subordination of the son ESS. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Maybe we talked about that where I was like, what, this is so weird. Um, uh, It's, it's not a subordination. It's just an obedience that there's kind of this, this love and. uh, Kind of mission together. Right. And and that Jesus um, in, in his humanity is, is really reliant on the spirit to guide him about like, this is my purpose. And um, this connects with Mark, how Mark uses the word must when talking about Jesus' death and resurrection. And so when I preached, I think it was last week, um, is that when we were in Mark 9 at the transfiguration, uh, you know, I pointed out that that we have this rare thing in Mark where he says after six days, which leads us to want to look back into what well, what happened six days before that. Well, Jesus taught about his how the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. So uh, there is a necessity of of this, of of Jesus obeying the Spirit in that like there's, this is part of what that means is that uh, he must go into the wilderness and be tempted. Uh, Matthew and Luke have different, uh, a lot more details. So I think the Matthew... (laughs) The Matthew account is the one that everyone is most familiar with, where we have the devil coming to him three times attempting with three different things. Right. First, uh, you know, he had fasted for you know 40 days and then the tempter came to him and said, uh, hey, you're hungry. You should command these stones to become loaves of bread. So he's 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 tempted. And there's a really interesting corollary here with Lent. Right. Where um, we are tempted by our hungers. Um And and that's something that that we can talk about in a few minutes here. Mm -hmm. Uh, The second temptation, um, if you are the son of God, the devil takes him to the pinnacle of the temple and says, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, he will give you his angels charge of you. On their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus has another biblical retort. Jesus knows his scriptures, right? Um, And he said, again, it is written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. And then Jesus is taken to a high mountain and is shown all the kingdoms of the world and all the glory of them. And the devil tempts him and, and says, all these I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. And uh, Jesus says, be gone, Satan, for it is written you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And then the devil left him and behold, angels came and ministered to him. So, So we get... All these additional details here, but um, the thing that we have that's common is that the angels minister to him. So following the t- temptation, these angels are sent to him and and minister to him. I'd imagine they fed him. They, they, they fulfilled him in ways that, that he had been lacking for 40 days. All the things that he needed, they ministered to him. So in this itty pitty mark, uh, mark in account, we see very few things. He was in the he was uh, driven out into the wilderness and he was there 40 days he was tempted and he was with the wild beasts and the angels ministered to him so we, we have uh, this this uh, the fact that he's out there with the animals and that could mean a number of things one of those things that could mean is that, um these animals could be potentially another hostile thing so not only is he facing all of the elements hunger temptation but he's also facing dangerous animals it also could be that he was with the animals as opposed to human beings that he was utterly alone devoid of any kind of human comfort you know he he was he was a- alone but there also – I, I kind of like the idea of this third explanation, that there's this new harmony among living creatures from Isaiah chapter 11, where, mm. where it says that the world we live in, um, the, the, the lamb will lie down with the leopard and the – I'm sorry. With the lamb and the leopard will lie down with the goat and the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and then a little child will lead them. The infant will play near the hole of the cobra, and the young child put his hand in the viper's nest. I, I kind of like that idea, that um, in every failing of Adam – like Jesus was the, the, the obedient one, right? That Adam who fell into sin, that Jesus as, as the second Adam, the new man, the, the new Adam, um, where Adam failed, Jesus um, did not. And so, um, when Jesus was tempted, he, uh, he, he, resisted temptation and again and so we see this this new harmony that's promised with with animals as this foretaste of this kingdom that is to come where like all of the enmity between creation has been corrected um and and death and pain and all that stuff is is is, is over and so i i think that's what we see here and and of course the 40 days uh is is very significant um uh, we, we see a connection between where Israel failed in the 40 years in the wilderness, mm-hmm. Jesus did not fail in those 40 days so there's a parallel there. And uh, I, I think I, I want to hear what you have to say because the, um, after you kind of share your thoughts we could talk about how why this is the first reading of Lent and the 40 days of Jesus how that what that means for us as as we fast for 40 days that like we're not like trying to be jesus being like jesus did for us what we could never do for ourselves that we convey that and so um we voluntarily um fast for lent so it's and lent ultimately isn't about the fast it is it is about what we're fasting for which is to celebrate easter right yeah it's less right. about the fast and more about the feast to come well i mean uh preparation for the feast
1: uh perhaps you read the um uh, the uh, exhortation to a holy Lent on Ash Wednesday, or perhaps of course, to read it, yeah, yeah, and um, uh, the the whole, uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, and you read it last um, last, last episode night. as well, yeah, okay. yeah, I did, yeah. I did, yeah, and you're and you're right, I mean, that that makes crystal clear that the whole point is is a preparation um, for for the events of, of Holy Week and Easter. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. But okay. So you're saying let's put a pin in that and, and get to get to that in a moment. Um, the temptation is kind of, I afraid, mean, if you but... want to leap in right there, let's, let's hear it, but well, um, no, no, I, I, I probably had other thoughts. I had a couple of other questions for you to maybe help, help okay. me and other, other readers and listeners think through. Um, so there's this theological, uh, concept called concupiscence, which hmm. is inclination to sin, right? So, like, even mm-hmm. when I'm not sinning, I have an inclination to sin. That is, uh, um, when temptation appears before me, it triggers um, this this existing inclination to do um, that sin or to not do something—a sin of omission or whatever, right? Um, and we all we all know this, right? We all have we all know what sins we're more inclined to to fall into than others. We all know where our concupiscence <laughs> lies. Um, Jesus did not have concupiscence, that is, created without sin, or so he did not have the inclination to sin. So I'm just wondering, um, I'm not asking this in a skeptical framework. Um, We say that he resisted temptation, um, though he's not marked with our our concupiscence, that is, our, our proneness to evil, our inclination to sin. What does that mean, then, when we say that he was tempted? Or is that a question that doesn't really matter?
2: Well, I mean, let's think about uh, the first Adam. Um, did he have concupiscence? Am I saying that right? Yeah. It's a fun yeah. word. It's, it, it's a hard, it's a, that's a tough <laughs> one for me. I, I know Augustine wrote a lot about it. He wrote about um, marriage, and, but like, it's it's one of those words that, that I
1: never say. I only read, you know. Yeah. Oh, you don't accuse your children of, I see your concupiscence again. <laughs> no, I'm, okay, I'm sorry. So, so Adam, on. Kirk, d- did the first Adam have concupiscence? Uh no. He did not, right. Yeah.
2: But he like through his sin um we are born into sin. So like That's that right. so because of his sin, we are born into that. But right. but but Jesus did not. So Jesus was like us in every way except without sin. Um but also being the sinless one, he didn't have this propensity to sin.
1: Yeah. So um he so was, it doesn't like, make the temptation any less intense you're saying. Um, sure, it was intense right. for Adam. It was likewise intense for Jesus. Um, yeah, that's just inter- just interesting. Yeah, it I'm, is. I'm not it asking is. this with a skeptical sense. I mean, it's clear as we see, not in today's account, but in Matthew and and um, Luke's account, that the, that that uh, the devil is is looking for some weak spots in the armor, almost searching for concupiscence. Right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> And like, not, what, and like what, what, What is it going to take?
2: Like, like you're, yeah. you, you've been fasting. I'm going to tempt you with food. Right. Um, you know, what is it that I like, what stronghold? And, and so like a number of the, of the scholars uh, pointed just to the devil's temptations for us. Like yeah. th- that's the turn they make where, where Kirk, you and I, when we read scripture, we want to be slower to take that turn to look at ourselves. We want to say like, first, what does this mean about Jesus and what is God telling us about this? So like, we look at a number of things and then we do say, yes, the, the devil tempts us and we need to be aware of what our weaknesses are. Like wh- what are the ways that he's going to wear us down? What, what are our particular uh, weaknesses? And when you Kirk, so let me, as I've weighed in on meteorology and furnaces, <laughs> let me talk about something else. I know nothing about. And that is Martin Scorsese's film, the last temptation of Christ.
1: <laughs> Which I've, I've never seen, seen it.
2: Yep. I've never seen it. Um, But um, spoiler alert turn this off if you want to watch this and haven't seen it. Um, my understanding of that movie is that essentially in an instant, as he's on the cross or about to get on the cross, um, he has this vision of like essentially walking off the cross and like marrying Mary Magdalene and having like this happy ever after life that isn't, <laughs> you know, bearing the sin of the world and suffering and dying that, 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 um, and I think some Christians were offended by the fact that like, um, they thought in fact that, that it was implying that, that Jesus did live this like full life where he married Mary Magdalene, where my, my understanding of the movie. And again, please correct me listeners. If I'm totally wrong about this, like, wouldn't that be a temptation of him? Like as he was praying in the garden, like uh, when he was saying like, let this cup be, um, be passed from me. Like if there's any other way, like one temptation for him um, again, he was without sin, but like to, 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 I'd imagine a temptation was to not go through with it. And um, as, as a as a full human, why wouldn't it have been a temptation to marry a woman and settle down and and to to not take to not take this cup that Jesus said to his disciples? He said, "You can't bear this. Like you don't understand what it means to, to, to drink this cup." Yeah. So I, so I guess I, I'd imagine these are all temptations that, uh, yeah.
1: for for Jesus. Yeah. So um, continuing on the temptation theme, we pray as Christians daily, uh, as part of the Lord's Prayer lead us not into temptation, um, and we trust that God will help us to, to overcome temptation, to to not kind of put us in the path of temptation, and that's um, kind of a fitting meditation, I think, Christopher, for Lent, as prayer and watchfulness are our kind of chief weapons against this, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I also, I, I think of uh, Hebrews 4, Um, where we read, we have not a high priest who cannot have compassion on our infirmities, but one who is tempted in all things like we were, but without sin. Um, What a comfort, what a comfort
2: knowing that like he knows exactly (laughs) what we've been through.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So there's a sense that the temptation once broken through to the other side um, brings our Lord closer to us, right? Because we will never be in a situation um, where he he cannot identify or sympathize um, with our condition. And I guess the, kind of the last thing I'd say is um, uh, Pope Benedict, uh, as he looked at this passage, um, he meditated um, that, uh, that Satan was trying to um, draw Jesus from a messiahship of self-sacrifice into a messiahship of, of power and um, and Jesus ultimately resists that, and we should be grateful, because um, because of that, um, Jesus becomes uniquely <laughs> um, the the King, the Messiah, the, the the God who gives of Himself fully of love, of self, of sacrifice, not of conquest, um, not of claiming all the kingdoms for Himself. And um, as we sing in Alleluia's. Uh, no, we sing in, uh, in Lo, he comes with clouds descending, and the last verse, claim the kingdom for thine own. Um, because he laid down his life, because he was a servant of all, um, he will worthily take up the crown and take the kingdom for his own. Um, but he was made worthy to do so because he resisted the temptation um, and gave up his, of himself first fully. So I think that too is very powerful and lovely yeah but so y- so y- we kirk we have a catechism
2: i've read from it before yeah um and I've, i'm gonna read from an old version because that's what i have in front of me it's been updated but i've got the old version here um what are ways to guard against temptation here's the answer i can guard against temptation by praying the lord's prayer you know lead us not in temptation yes right? yeah asking for strength confessing my sins recalling god's word and living a, a, uh accountably with others so like like how like how do we strengthen ourselves well we're given this community like we have this um so accountability i think can be a, a tricky word so people don't love that word because yeah. it's been been used abusively um but but think of it as as um so i guess my my view of of sin uh is is that it's fool's gold and in 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 romans 1 fool's gold meaning like it seems like it's something that will give us satisfaction, but in fact is totally empty. And in Romans one, what we learn, what Paul tells us is that the worst thing that can happen is for God to give us over to our sin. Right. Yeah. The worst yeah. thing that the worst thing to happen for, for, um, for you and I, Kirk is for you to watch me um, fall victim to sin. And that's think of accountability as, as a positive way of, of protecting, of loving one another by saying like, I, I love you too much to like, it's not us uh, authoritatively, like using our authority to Lord it over people. Um, Mm -hmm. rather it is, it is a way of, of protecting people from,
1: uh, going down the wrong path. Do you remember in the great divorce? Um, there's a man who on the cusp of paradise, um, chooses his sin over salvation. And he, what does he do? He swallows the key that would have unlocked his chains, mm. is that right? Like, Do you remember that? <laughs> I, I don't remember that, but that is
2: Kirk. That is appropriate,
1: <laughs> and uh, and in is doing so, he 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 makes the decision, and he consciously realizes, like, no, I love my chains more than the paradise yeah. that is before yeah. me.
2: Yeah. That's what sin is. That's what sin is. It's the delusion that somehow like this sin, which leads to nothing but death is is more enticing than than um, union with God. And so I just read the old version. The new version, which I need to purchase a copy of, um, is much better. So what are ways to guard against temptation? Here's, here's what the new version says. As I abide in Christ, I can guard against temptation by praying for protection and strength, confessing my sins, recalling God's word, avoiding tempting situations. So this is like, um, this is, I think a key in, in, in 12 step programs, uh, AA and any sort of, um, addiction program is, Mm -hmm. is like, what are the triggers? What are the situations? Um, so is it like when you're feeling alone, when, you know, when nobody's around and you feel this hollowness and emptiness, um, and is that where you, you, um, seek that a thing that, whether it's alcohol or drugs or whatever, um, Anyways, avoiding tempting situations and seeking the support of fellow Christians. And then there's another question how can the church help you to resist temptation? And that's this this is a great this is a great addition, right? Is that like yeah. we have this wealth um, in the fellowship of Christ's body? I can find companionship when I feel lonely or, or vulnerable, support to resist ungodly influence, wisdom to guard me from folly, exhortation to grow in holiness, and discipline to correct me when I fall into error. And if you hear me emphasizing this is not a lording of authority, there are churches and traditions that emphasize discipline in a very abusive and authoritative way, um, where ours is always this loving, like, we love you too much than to watch you swallow the key.
1: Right. Yeah. That's right. And perhaps um, at some other point, we can talk about kind of um, um, how confession and absolution how I, I think uniquely our tradition, along with some others, um, offers, which some of those traditions you talk about, Christopher, don't, there's not like a, like a, an obvious way to get clean and to get reconciled. Um, I guess I'll just, I'll, I'll say this as a final thought. Um, an, another, uh, another tool in the Christian's tool belt is repentance. Um, uh, our Lord does not have a finite number of times that he forgives mm. us. And, um, We, you all, we all probably have sins that we. There's, there's a particular sin that is demoralizing to me right now in my life that I continue um, to fall into. Uh, It's probably if, if you're a parent and you're listening, you probably fall into this too. For me, it's anger. It's anger. I'm, I'm constantly angry, and I think in the moment it's probably righteous anger, and it's obviously unrighteous, right? Mm. yeah yeah it's interesting in in our in our litany of penitence last night i noticed against unrighteous anger Oh, i felt that keenly christopher Mm. um and sometimes i feel um as if i am i don't know i'm constantly repenting of this Mm. to jesus and i feel as if sometimes like is it cheap and mm. that is, I think, probably the devil whispering in my ear. Like, mm. no, I need to always like repentance and forgiveness is always available, right? Seventy times seven. And Absolutely. I don't know. If, I don't know, Christopher. If this resonates with you, or this resonates with anybody else. I don't know if any if any of you have sins that you feel like you've at, you've asked for forgiveness too many times, and it's you're abusing the concept of forgiveness. That's not true. That is not the Lord's voice in your ear. Well, Kirk. Kirk, can I play? (laughs) Go ahead.
2: Yeah. Can I play armchair psychologist here? Yeah, yeah. As as we uh, try to avoid those situations where we sin, Kirk. Mm -hmm. Um. uh, At the root of anger for most people, uh, anger comes from fear.
1: Yeah. I think that's
2: right. So um, you're probably afraid of. Uh, so Are you you're, quoting and, a, Yoda? <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> I'm not. But uh, as a parent, when you get angry with your children, there's it's it's coming from a fear of of this or that. And so if you can um, address those fears, like you're you're afraid, uh, so you're you're angry at uh, child number child x for um failing to do this um because you're afraid that if they don't learn how to do this um there's gonna be consequences down the line so how 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 do you get to to the the foundation of that yeah um as as you so it's it's not just about you um magic i shouldn't say that i don't want to say that flippantly to say you that you have to magically become because the lord does give you what you need As we confess our sins and as we bring these things to the Lord, like it's not just that we have uh, this sin uh, set of scales, like a market set of scales where like uh, we have uh, a Lord who will forgive our sins so that like uh, as as we continue to sin until our deathbed that like – isn't that nice that we get our sins forgiven? We also um, worship a God who is transforming us from one degree of glory into another, um, that we believe in transformation, that God heals and God changes. And so as we confess our sins, we we ask um, for God's grace to help um, heal and change those things. And so th- there is absolutely hope in each of these things. Um, and um, that we cannot be defined by that sin, that when we confess that sin, that the Lord does remove it from us as far as the East is from the West. So that like, we don't need to feel shame that like we're this um,
1: person because that confessed sin doesn't belong to us anymore. Yeah. Well, I mean, if we're going to put, put Kirk on the couch here, <laughs> I right. also think that with anger, uh, um, there's also a false consciousness. So I have, well, let's not use many- the word
2: false consciousness. Cause that is a particular meaning.
1: Right. Well, I have I have an image of myself that's not true. Okay. So I've figured certain things out and I can't believe that this person hasn't. <laughs> um mm. so I am I'm a person who is a well-ordered soul and this person is disordered and and we've worked on this and why do you continue to fall into this which is just not true like I am a disordered soul as well. <laughs> um and I think Well and, and as a parent like of... you have a, you have a father in heaven who has
2: been very
1: right. patient right. with you. Right. That's right. That's right. Um Yeah, but kind and humble people are generally have a a truer sense of who they actually are, and Mm -hmm. are less likely to be indignant at others' shortcomings because they see themselves as they actually are as well. That's what I mean by a, a false consciousness. Does that make sense? Yeah but we're we we have dwelt a lot on temptation and sin christopher but um, i, I want to stay here
2: just a little bit longer because okay, I, right. I did i use the word chide uh, you did not uh, if i didn't i in my mind i did um as as like uh, i i love the hymn praise my soul the king of heaven um it's good and and it's uh this this song that has the the word that we don't say during lent um mm-hmm. But I love the way that um, we praise God for who he is and his character and Kirk as we as earthly fathers try to emulate God's fatherly love um, verse two is wonderful praise him for his grace and favor to his people in distress praise him still the same as ever slow to chide and swift and swift to bless yes. And that's the fathers that we want to be is um, people who are slow to chide and and are patient. Um, Verse three, father, like he tends and spares Mm -hmm. us. Well, our feeble frame, he knows in his hand, he gently bears us, rescues us from all our foes. It's a beautiful hymn, wonderful poetry, and um, is an example of the fathers that that, that we ought to be. But uh, again, This isn't like we set this impossible standard that we have to reach. And when we don't reach it, we, we in shame, just go to the God who will forgive us for that. Um, We seek uh, a God whose spirit transforms us into this um, new uh, uh, one degree of glory into another. Kirk, I know, are you trying to transition into theology? Because I feel like we should address like the, this is the first reading in uh, the first Sunday of, of Lent, um, because of this 40 days um, and and, and there's, there is a corresponding 40 days that we walk through as we prepare and there are similarities, but there are also differences. And and this might be something to tackle in a future week in the theology segment, Um, just like Lent in general, and maybe misconceptions. I think a lot of people have misconceptions about Lent, about Mm -hmm. how it's like the opposite of freedom where like Mm -hmm. Lent, uh, I mean, I saw a tweet last night that I screenshot um, where people said, I, you know, like th- this person res- reflected on seeing people around her celebrate Lent. And she says, I am free from these chains and I will not be shackled to Lent again. <laughs> Um, uh, and and that's really unfortunate that this is seen as is is a burden when in fact Lent is is this wonderful gift. Yeah, let's uh, Christopher next
1: week. Let's uh, let's do misconceptions about Lent. Okay, let's. But, let's um, be so bold.
2: But uh, yeah, so forty days are not an arbitrary time of of, of Lent. Uh, there's a complicated history of counting that, as we've mentioned before. As far as when does Lent start? Uh, of course, Sundays are ne- are 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 never uh, fast days, but um, our fast. Only in number corresponds because 40 days is, is a significant biblical number. Um, and for us, it's, it's, it's uh, an appropriate time of, of, of fasting, almsgiving, and preparation for, for Easter. And maybe that's enough uh, to say that and then say we'll tackle kind of the misconceptions. Yeah,
1: I would just say week. super generally, Jesus went into the desert to um, for, for prayer and fasting. And so we too go into the desert of our hearts. For prayer and fasting super broad and poetical how's that sounds good and we could go on and um list great litanies of our sins but at some point we gotta gotta put a pin in it speaking of great litanies <laughs> We wanted to talk about the Great Litany. And um, there are other church traditions other than Anglicanism that use litanies. A litany is, well, it's just a list. That's kind of what it means. Um, but the Great Litany, capital G, capital L, uh, forms a, a or, it, or it serves a particular purpose um, in Anglican worship. And it's because it's one of the first English-language liturgies that was ever uh, officially commissioned and put into use into English, English-speaking Christianity. In 1544, Henry VIII commissioned a great litany, um, probably as chosen as a first step because it was guaranteed to please Henry VIII um, um, as, a, as, a, as a small, cautious measure of reform. A litany is just a series of petitions to God traditionally said or sung in procession. Litanies used to make a lot more sense in Christian worship because people just processed a lot more in Christian worship. And uh, and for reasons that we don't need to get into now, um, processions have kind of waned in popularity in in much of the American church. Though it seems like um, there's certain pockets, Christopher, where, uh, where people are rediscovering processing and um, kind of, uh, the, the devotional power of processing as a people. Um, and so I, I I commend that, but
2: um, I, I don't mean to be get, to get too elementary, but, um, there may be some people, some listeners who don't know what a procession is, or may think that it's only, um, you know, the, the cross, uh, acolytes and the gospel book, um, and the priest in the altar party entering at the beginning of the service. But in fact, it is much. It can be much more than than simply just the entrance of a service.
1: Well, certainly, it is merely that. It is the entrance and the exit uh, in uh, to and well, um, the exit is is a
2: recession, but recessional, yeah,
1: <laughs> yep, yep. um. But also, but also yeah, worship, yeah. Uh, um, when there was uh, a more united Christendom, and there was kind of a parish in each town, and most of life was rural life, um. There would be uh, frequent on feast days uh, processions. That is just a parade. It's a, it's a Christian parade uh, throughout the town. This would be done on Palm Sunday, on Rogation Days, that is in the spring, when you ask for God's blessings on the, on the coming um, season of growth. Um, on, uh, on all Hallows Eve, that's kind of where we get Halloween, right? Um, but yeah, it was just co- a, a common part of Christian worship and I didn't mean to turn this into a history lesson, but yeah
2: no no, but, but Kirk this is real, this is like I, I I want people to be able to visualize what you mean when you say a procession. yeah. So, t- t- you know, our worship usually begins with a procession. Um, but in fact, that you said the Great Litany, like we used to have more processions, meaning that at various times we would go- walk around outside. Yeah. Um, like, like, uh, so, uh, the priest and and acolytes and and servers would be vested, but other people would just join the procession, yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. would walk around and and say the litany or 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 uh, perhaps sing. Uh, they would do these things, and I know Kirk that you love the countercultural idea of this. And I think you sent me a video <laughs> in, Eng- in England of people doing a procession on some particular holy day. It might've been all hell's Eve where there's this like, um, solemn, uh, holy procession. And there's just these kind of people kind of being normal people in the street and they come around the corner and they see the procession and they kind of like, they like freeze. Cause it's shocking to the site. Yes. Do, do
1: you remember, do you remember this one that I'm talking about? I do. I do. Yeah. 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 yeah it was, um, it put in stark relief the fact um, that <laughs> our kingdom is not of this world. Mm, like you had yeah. kind of a worldly scene and then the unworldliness of Christians <laughs> um, very, yeah. very shamelessly in our foolish clothing and with our weird gestures and our weird chants and our weird music um, and, and the discontinuity of those two things. Um, and I love it because, of course, a lot of kind of the, the failure of the last 30, 40 years of American Christianity is... Is thinking that maybe looking more like the culture will ingratiate ourselves and bring people in, and that well, where has that gotten us? But in any case, um, yeah. yeah, no, I do, lo- I do love processions. Make 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 church weird life. again, right? Make church weird again, amen. Yeah. 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 So back to the great litany. Um, it is uh, performs a. It, it can be said at every morning and evening prayer. Well, let's let's take a look at actually at that rubric, and then and then take a look at that. Okay, so the rubric. Uh, just says this. Um, it says the Great Litany may be used before the Eucharist, right? So just before Holy Communion, after the Collects of morning or evening prayer, so near the end of morning or evening prayer, or separately. And um, and I think Christopher, our, uh, our our prayer book app that um, that our, that our, the publisher of our prayer book has put out, um, one of the options is um, um, for the use to to have the use of the Litany during Advent and during Lent. So I think that is a common practice during morning and evening prayer to expand morning and evening prayer to include the great litany. And so it's a good, it's a good thing to, to look at at the beginning of, of Lent. Um, it is, uh, it's also appropriate on the first Sunday of Lent and the first Sunday, first Sunday of Advent and the first Sunday of Lent, um, which we will be doing, Christopher, in our parish at the first Sunday of Lent. It's also appropriate for rogation days, other days of fasting or thanksgiving, and occasions of solemn and comprehensive entreaty. Entreaty is a lovely old-fashioned word that just means like earnest prayer. All right. So um, it's a long list of petitions. And, um, and it got approved uh, initially by Henry VIII because some of the petitions um, were, were, were um, how should we say, uh, um, they, they puffed Henry VIII up, that it may please thee to keep Henry VIII, thy servant and our king and governor, that it may please thee to rule his heart in thy faith and fear and love. But in any case, it, it is stuck and um, become something that, that um, is part of many parishes and many people's Advent and Lenten devotion. And it has a simple rhythm. It has almost this rocking rhythm to it that once you get into it, really pulls you into a sense of prayer Um, It begins with, O God, the Father, creator of heaven and earth, have mercy upon us. O God, the Son, Redeemer of the world, have mercy upon us. So there is this Trinitarian, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, O blessed and glorious Trinity, one God, have mercy upon us. And um, uh, there are are ancient petitions, and Christopher, we should pick our battles here, the things, the the, the petitions that we want to look at, because it does go on and on, and we can link to this. Um, But Christopher, I love this. Remember not, Lord Jesus, our offenses, nor the offenses of our forebears. Neither reward us according to our sins. Spare us, good Lord. Spare your people whom you have redeemed with your most precious blood. And by your mercy, preserve us forever. And the people respond, spare us, good Lord. And then there are a dozen or so petitions in which the people respond, good Lord, deliver us. Christopher, what are some of these uh these things that uh anything particularly strike you that we pray uh good Lord deliver us?
2: Uh it's it's really comprehensive, which yes, which it I is. really <laughs> like. And it, and it's like last night's uh litany, um, where I mean, I think our blindness to our own sin, uh mm-hmm. th- this this is formative to be like to be so comprehensive, to be like uh, sins of omission, sins of commission. Um, what are ways that we've ignored the vulnerable? What are ways that we've fallen short? Um, and so so this talks about like all the sins, like blindness of heart, pride, vanity, hypocrisy, envy, hatred, malice, all lack of charity. But also like it's comprehensive and like, Lord, um, protect us from lightning and tempest, from yes. earthquake, fire and flood, from plague, pestilence and famine. You know, acknowledging that... that um, God holds us in his hand. We, we only exist and flourish, um, by his blessing, right? That, yeah. that, um, uh, not a single day is promised to us uh, other than today. Uh, well, today's a promised? Like every day is a gift from God. And so we ask Lord, um, deliver us from, from these things, which can end our life. We think about the thousands of, um, I was listening to a podcast the other day talking about, uh, the, the, the cold in Texas mm-hmm. while in the, uh, in europe uh which so so texas is not prepared for free sub zero uh sub freezing temperatures europe interestingly isn't prepared for heat yeah every time there's extreme heat tens of thousands of people die yeah because there's just not widespread air conditioning think about that like that that like there's this world is a deadly world that driving can kill us, that flying can kill us, that heat can kill us, that cold can kill us. Um, and so just um, as we pray this, we, we, we realize God's providence in in protecting us, in keeping watch over us. Um, you know, the, the the the
1: words of conflict, keep, yeah. keep watch over us this night. You know? I, I I guess I, I've always been struck by and moved. Um, these are ancient and holy, um, awesome words, almost... Uh, by, by the mystery of your holy incarnation, by your holy nativity and submission to the law, by your, and as our gospel reading today, by your baptism, fasting, and temptation, good Lord deliver us, right? Like we are delivered by our Lord's, his incarnation, his nativity, etc. cetera. Um, by your agony and bloody sweat, by your cross and passion, by your precious death and burial, good Lord deliver us. Um, I love those things. And then Christopher, we pivot into the next There's kind of a new rhythm after these a dozen or so petitions in which the congregation responds, good Lord, deliver us. We pivot into, we beseech you to hear us, good Lord. So we begin to pray for certain things, Mm -hmm. right? We sinners beseech you to hear us, O Lord God, that it may please you to rule and govern your holy church universal in the right way. The people respond, we beseech you to hear us, good Lord. And then we begin to pray for, Christopher, I mean, you've, you've marveled at the comprehensive nature of the first series of petitions. Man, we pray for everything, right? All bishops, priests, and deacons, um, all missionaries, all that to give your people increase of grace and to hear your word with humility, to bring us into truth, to give us a heart of love, to bless us and keep us. I mean, after all of these petitions, we pre- Um, we pray that we beseech you to hear us, good Lord. We pray for all of our civil rulers, right? Our presidents or sovereigns or prime ministers, depending upon what countries we live in, right? All judges, all armed forces. Uh, So these these are comprehensive as well. We pray to strengthen all those who are prisoners, all those who are in danger by reason of travel or their work, um, all those who are married all those who are widowed, all those who are abandoned, to comfort those whose homes are, homes are torn by strife, the unborn, their parents, to preserve all women in childbirth, um, for those, uh, to, to care for those who have lost children or face infertility, for young children, for orphans. Christopher, it's so comprehensive, right? And after these dozen petitions, we continue to pray. We beseech you to hear us, good Lord. Christopher, we have a lovely church lady in our parish who is an obviously powerful, um, she, she prays with authority uh, and it is, um, it's just lovely to hear her pray and to pray with her. And there are times when she's prayed particularly earnestly and she says, she prays, Lord, we beseech you. <laughs> as she's searching mm. for a particular word of, of pleading, she uses mm. that and I, and I love that. There's something, um, something emphatic about that word. Um, that maybe we've lost some of our, our our current verbs have lost,
2: which raises a good question, Kirk. You you asked the question of me uh, mostly because I think you want to embarrass me because you knew I have a hard time saying concupiscence. <laughs> um, but uh, let me ask you this: like all, all these things that God God um, God wants to do, God wants to make wars all cease in the world and to give nations unity and peace. Why, why are we asking God to do those things that he already wants to do? Like, why, why are we beseeching him to do what he wants to do anyway?
1: Yeah, that is a mystical aspect of prayer, right? Um, there's something relational that binds us to God um, when we ask him, when we beg him to do the thing which he promised. Um, and, and I'm trying to remember the first prayer that occurs in the Old Testament the first prayer that occurs in scripture at all is, what is it? Um, is it Abel? Um, saying basically, Lord, you promised. Um, saying back to the Lord, do that thing that you have promised. In some ways, that's the very heart of prayer, right? We have a God who promises to deliver us good gifts. And, and prayer is, is, is us in conversation with our makers, um, kind of reciting those promises back to him is that where you're getting at or
2: yeah yeah I mean thy kingdom come thy will be done <laughs> I mean it's it's what we pray in the lord's prayer how he taught us to pray um that we're we're praying that God's will would be done it's an odd thing um but there there is we are encouraged to be persistent in prayer I um, mean and we see scriptures about um this persistence um uh,
1: and, and persistence being being
2: rewarded right yeah
1: and um there's a there's a symmetry well, not a symmetry. There's a tapering of the great litany. Um, yeah, there's a great fountain of words and many petitions. And, uh, and then it, um, each petition gets smaller and smaller until we get basically, Christopher, to the essence of our faith and to the essence of prayer, right? So, uh, after all these uh, responses, we beseech you to hear us. The officiant will say, son of God, we beseech you to hear us. The congregation responds in kind. Son of God, we beseech you to hear us. And then three times, we repeat John's words: "O Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Have mercy upon us, O Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world, etc." We do that three times in kind of a trinitarian invocation, and it keeps getting simpler, right, Christopher? Starker, plainer, more entreating. O Christ, hear us. O Christ, hear us. And then the most ancient prayer that we know of the Church: the Kyrie, right? Lord, have mercy upon us. Christ have mercy upon us. Lord have mercy upon us. And then we end, as our Savior taught us to pray, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, et cetera. And it'll feel long if you've not if you've not prayed it before. Or even if you have, wouldn't you say, Christopher? And when prayer feels long, do you have any thoughts for us when we when we are noticing that the prayer is going on long? I, I it's, it's, that's
2: a good thing that yes. <laughs> we have this prayer to, as our mind wanders that we can be regrounded to realize, Oh, wow. Like my mind has left. Let's, let's reground. Cause that's what worship is, is, is yeah. worship is, is something that that should ground us in Christ. Um, and that's something that I appreciated, um, as I discovered kind of lit, the liturgical church is that, um, in college as, a, as I, uh, attended various churches, um, In churches that were mostly either music, music and preaching, my mind would wander, and there, like, it would oftentimes be gone for a while. (laughs) And um, in liturgical churches, like, you'd realize, oh wow, I'm not participating, and then you'd be regrounded in in these um in these ancient motions.
1: Yeah, I completely agree, and I would just say, notice, take a note of (laughs) that you got bored or you checked out or that it's feeling long, and offer it up to God. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah. Are are you guys including the supplication? Uh, I don't think so.
2: So there's something on the next page in yes. our prayer book on page yeah. ninety-seven. That uh, says it's it's especially appropriate in times of war or of great anxiety or of disaster. And so, we had someone ask on January sixth. Um, you know, that was a time of great distress for us, not because it was epiphany, but because our capital building was stormed yeah, by riot yeah. by rioters. And we found out since then that the lives of um, but for the the brave um, and swift um, action of, of several police officers. Ah, uh, the lives of Mitt Romney and and a few others. Um, Mike
1: Pence, maybe. Yeah.
2: Mike Pence, perhaps. Uh, some violent. They, they they may have died. And correction. And so,
1: we are doing what? this application.
2: And, and so and so, someone said, like, can uh, can, can we just gather the church for a time of prayer? Maybe maybe do the great litany, where this this was something that was grounding for this person to, um, who requested that that we end. Um, so it's interesting that the supplication at the end, um, that it says it's appropriate at times of of a, national anxiety, of disaster, and of of course now, um it's a time of disaster. Like uh, it's interesting how people have ref- said that uh, I, I'm not ready for Lent because we've had a year of Lent, you know, that like yeah. we are living in a pandemic and um, right now the weather is, is seemingly trying to kill us. <laughs> and um, so there's, there's a lot right now to um, to take to the Lord.
1: Yeah. Yes, I agree. Any final thoughts, Christopher, on the great litany? It is great indeed. In and both the old fashioned and the new fashioned sense. Yeah. Shall we end in prayer? Let's. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Let us pray.
2: Almighty God, whose blessed Son was led by the Spirit to be tempted by Satan, come quickly to help us who are assaulted by many temptations. And as you know the weaknesses of each of us, let each one find you mighty to save. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Lighten our darkness, we beseech you, O Lord, and by your great mercy, defend us from all perils and dangers of this night. For the love of your only Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen. Amen. Next week, Kirk.
1: Christoph, next week.